Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Big Time Edition. As Joe Burrow, Tyler Boyd, and Jamar Chase put up huge numbers in a 35-17 win over the Falcons. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, one-on-one interviews, and analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Then, in this week's Fun Facts segment, you'll enjoy getting to know Cam Taylor Britt. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you in part by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. As you can tell, I'm battling a cold and am vocally challenged this week. So, let's get right to the radio replays from the Bengals' most dominant performance of the year. Burrow in the gun, Mixon to his right. Fakes to Joe Mixon. Burrow. Throwing deep down Got the middle him. of the field, Tyler oh, Boyd baby. over the shoulder catch at the 16, Woo. and he streaks into the end zone. Touchdown, Bengals, as Joe Burrow floats a perfect ball down the middle of the field, 60 yards for a touchdown to Tyler Boyd. Broken coverage by the Atlanta Falcons. The Bengals bring in a sixth offensive lineman, Hakeem Adeniji. Third down and goal. Ball's between the one and the two. Burrow's under center. Joe takes the snap, hands it to Mixon, fears to the left, lowers the shoulder pads, and he's in. Touchdown, Bengals. Nice. 14-0 Cincinnati, 49 seconds left in the first quarter. Play action pink. Burrow throws a one-handed catch by Tyler Boyd. He spikes the ball after making the catch at the 44 of Atlanta. Tyler Boyd, showtime. Burrow catches the shotgun snap. He's back to throw. He's going to throw it high and deep for Chase. Jamar has the ball. It is a touchdown as he knocks over the pylon (laughs) and holds on to the ball. Three drives, three touchdowns for Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Oh, my gosh. Joe Burrow is now 14 for 16 for getting close to 250 yards and two touchdowns. Mariota, one for three for two yards. Oh, my goodness. Now Burrow throws toward the left sideline. Back shoulder throw. Chase makes the catch. Cuts into the middle of the field. And the chase of Chase is unsuccessful. A 41-yard touchdown. The Bengals' fourth TD in four first-half drives. Well, uh, two touchdowns have totaled. Uh, Joe Burrow has thrown one for 60. He's thrown one for 41. I mean, Jamar Chase gets to top speed in two steps. He is so explosive. The veteran quarterback catches the shotgun snap. Under pressure. Hendrickson with the sack at the 22-yard line. Second and goal. Quarterback sneak, Joe Burrow. He's in. The officials come marching up the goal line. No signal yet. Sure looked like he was in. There's the signal. Touchdown on the quarterback sneak. And the Bengals have gone up and over 30 for the second week in a row. Mariota back to pass on third down. Come on, Sam. He is sacked. It was Sam Hubbard at the 35-yard line. Mariota is set. Catches the shotgun snap. Retreats in the pocket. Gets hit. And Joseph Osai has his first NFL sack. Nice. Burrow catches a high snap. Quarterback draw. (laughs) It works. He's to the 40, 45, and tackled from behind at the 48. A 20-yard run for Joe Burrow. And he says, why not? I mean, there's no middle linebacker. Once he gets past the defensive line, there's no middle linebacker. He's got a lead blocker in Ted Karras who's taking him to the safety level. I mean, just unbelievable. And, and Dean Pease, 
and the, and the Atlanta Falcon defense scratching their heads now saying whatever we do is wrong. Number nine proves us wrong. He has the answers to the test before the play unfolds. The final score, Cincinnati 35, Atlanta 17. For the second straight week, Joe Burrow had three touchdown passes, one touchdown run, and no interceptions. His passer rating was 138.2. After the game, Dave Lapham talked to Burrow and Boyd together. Joe, 34 for 42, 481 yards, three touchdowns passing. You rushed for one. Tyler Boyd, you had a personal high, eight catches, 155 yards and a touchdown. What did you guys see? I mean, you spread them out. Was it just take completions or what? Yeah, they got into to base defense, put an extra D lineman in the game. And so we started going empty, and there was a lot of space out there to complete to the guys. And they made the rest happen after the catch. So, Tyler, what you were working the middle of the football field like a magician like you always do. What were you seeing? Uh, man, just the same thing. We can, we got that we get, you know, and, uh, and we're so comfortable uh, knowing it now and seeing it that we made our adjustments week in, week out during the, during the weekend. They finally starting to hit and work for us. So you had uh, you had Chase had eight catches for 130. Tyler had eight for 155. T Higgins five for 93. You almost had three receivers with 100 yards receiving. That's uh, being like a point guard distributing the ball, man. Yeah, we were trying to get T to 100. Couldn't quite make it happen, but, I mean, that's that's how you want it to be, distributing the ball, tell, defense telling me we're throwing it, not, not predetermining. So that's what I try, strive for. Let me ask both you guys, third down, you lead the NFL coming into the game on third down quarterback rating. Today it was first down, though. All three of your touchdowns, 32-yarder, 41-yarder, 60-yarder to Tyler or on first down. You had uh, three other receptions for over 20 yards on first down. You guys were killing them on first down. What was it? We had a great plan coming in. Coaches did a great job. Uh, and that's that's what you want to be. You don't want to be in third downs. That's when defenses you know, try to make their money. So you try to make it happen on first and second down. That's what we did today. What did you see, Tyler? Did you see a lot of opportunity? When you lined up on first down, it's like, oh, yeah, he's coming to me. Yeah, a lot of the times, you know, based off uh, the look that they give us. And then they was running a lot of, a lot of base toward 11. So that's where we take advantage of our opportunity. That's why we, you know, stayed in and, and kept, continued to throw the ball because we had the mismatch look every single time. You guys both said that this team offensively is finding an identity. And, and it seems to be the case. Two weeks in a row, 30 points or more. I mean, now... If, if you guys, since 2011, you guys scored 25 points more. You're 62, six, 62 wins, six losses, and two ties. I mean, 25 points is the magic number, man. Yeah, I mean, it's always been 30 for me. Usually, if we get, <laughs> usually if we get 30, you're not losing. Uh -oh. And then throw for 400, you're not losing. It's always good. That's always. Good. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks Appreciate very much. By the way, the Bengals have had three 100-yard receivers in the same game once in their history. October 7, 1990, when James Brooks, Rodney Holman, and Tim McGee topped the century mark in an overtime win over the Rams. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor. More than 29,000 customers trust Paycor to help them recruit, pay, engage, and retain employees. Learn more at Paycor.com. Defensively, the Bengals dominated most of the game. The Falcons had a long touchdown drive in the second quarter, followed by a 75-yard touchdown pass. But on their other six possessions that began in their own territory, the Falcons punted on all six. 
Joseph Osai, who missed his rookie year due to injuries, had his first NFL sack, and I talked to him about it after the game. How did it feel? Uh, first off, I want to say I want to say thank God. Uh, without him, nothing is without him nothing is possible. I want to say uh, uh, thank you to my teammates, my family, my coaches for trusting and believing in me. It's awesome. Uh, it feels amazing. Feels great. I feel like I'm. Fi- I-, I was finally able to contribute to the team, and that's all I've ever wanted to, to just prove myself to these guys that I can play. Your teammates went nuts after that sack. It's fun to see. I appreciate them. I, they, 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 I got a lot of support from them and a lot of love from them, and I got a lot of love for them. So it was. It's awesome. It was great. Other than the 75-yard touchdown pass that the Falcons got with less than a minute to go in the second quarter, I thought the defense overall played extremely well. What did you think? I, I, I think I think we played great too, but you know we're we're a team that's always looking for for things to clean up and ways to get better, and. Uh, no matter how great we play, there's always things to fix, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to enjoy this win today, and then we're going to go back to the drawing board and fix the things we need to fix. I think one of the big storylines going into the game was, could you stop that running game without DJ Reader, without Josh Tupo, without Logan Wilson? They ran it well on one drive, but that was it. Yeah, um, that's that's credit to those interior guys. Jay Tufele, you know, Tyler Shelvin, Big BJ, um, BJ Hill, the, Zach Carter, them guys just stepping up and um, they've been patiently watching behind those those leaders you mentioned being out. And um, they did a good job of filling in and, and, and stopping that run. And we, we really we really used it. We really needed it. Were you able to watch Joe Burrow on this video board or while you were on the sideline at all? Because it was quite a show. Yeah, we were. We were. We, we, we took a little glimpse here and there in between trying to uh, – Try to make some uh, sideline adjustments, but yeah, he, he's amazing. He's a freaking star. He certainly is. Now, here's one more one-on-one conversation as Lap spent three minutes with Zach Taylor after the win. Coach, your quarterback throws for 481 yards. <laughs> Completes 34 out of 42. Chase, eight catches for 130. Boyd, eight catches for a buck 55. Chase had two touchdowns, Boyd has one. Then Higgins, five for 93, almost 300-yard receivers there. And a lot of the damage done on first down. I mean, Joe Burrow leads the NFL in third down quarterback uh, rating. Today on first down, my God, you guys were a machine. We tried not to be greedy. Uh, We knew that they had some injuries at DB going into the game, and they suffered even more as the game went on. So we wanted to make sure we didn't let them off the hook with all the skill guys we got. Joe did a great job operating, getting out of his hand quickly, and letting those guys get some yard after the catch. Five of the uh, six possessions against the Saints you scored, and then the first four today you score. Nine out of ten. That's a, that's a run that's hard to beat. Yeah, and we got to keep proving ourselves. You know, it's just because we did it in one game doesn't mean it's going to carry over to the next. Our guys obviously have a lot of confidence, uh, but every, every game brings a new challenge, and our guys got to put in a great week of work to be ready for Cleveland this next week. Your defense uh, shut them out in the second half, so no touchdowns allowed, obviously, because they didn't allow any points, but no touchdowns allowed in the second half. After seven NFL football games, that, that's pretty extraordinary. It allows us to, to get our feet under us on offense and be efficient over there, knowing that our defense is going to keep points off the board. And just a great job by Lou and his staff and the players believing in the system, stepping up and making those plays. You start from your own two-yard line in that last possession. You drive all the way down to basically their two-yard line and, and, and basically, you know, kneel on it, sit on the football. How gratifying is that to have that kind of a drive to close it out? Well, that's just how you want to finish. You know, it's our defense had, had done a great job. You don't want to put them back out there. 
Uh, we kind of had the sense that that's the way it could go. If we're on the minus two, man, we might be able to eat up nine minutes here and finish on the ball. And then, and then to even finish it the way we did with one of our, our plays, we work over and over. You never know when the time's going to call for it. Hayden getting under center and trying to draw him off sides. He did a great job of it. It was a great way to finish the game. And, and finally, um, w when you look at it, how, how much better can this offense play? You're in a, you're in a stretch right now in a two-game stretch that is, is, is pretty extraordinary. I mean, what do, you, what do you tell your team when they're playing this well? There's always things we can improve on. You know, it's, it's um, whether it's making sure we're better in short yardage, um, not putting ourselves, you know, behind the eight ball on third down. There's always things that we can clean up to make sure we do a better job. We, we had a couple of as It happened. Um, so there's always things that we can point to and improve on so that we can be a better offense the next week. Man, your offense looks good, Coach. You got a lot of weapons. You got them all involved. You got a quarterback that has the answers to the test, and you called a hell of a football game. Man, that was something to watch. It really was. It was a lot of fun, you know, and so we just got to keep the momentum going. Appreciate you, sir. Thank you, Dave. Monday Night Football in Cleveland is up next. The Browns are 2-5 and five with a four-game losing streak after a three-point loss in Baltimore. The Bengals and Ravens share first place in the AFC North at 4-3. and three. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by AltaFiber, future-proof fiber internet capable of delivering multi-gigabit speeds designed to take your home, business, and community to a new level. Elevate your connection with AltaFiber. Now... Time for the Radio Guys Recap. Lap, I don't know what to say about Joe Burrow. It was incredible today. 34 for 42, 481 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Also ran for 21 yards and a TD. I guess the Baltimore game last year was better when he threw for 525, but not by much. Not by much. And, of course, all the naysayers will say, oh, Baltimore was beaten up, Atlanta's beaten up. I don't give a damn. <laughs> I mean, take advantage of it. And he did. I mean, you're throwing for 1,000 yards, basically, in those two football games. Um, 34 for 42, 481 yards. That's, that's, those are stupid numbers. And then to distribute the ball like a point guard for the second straight week, you get, you know, Chase has eight catches for 130, two touchdowns. Boyd has eight for 155, a career high, and a touchdown. Higgins, five for 93. And uh, both Tyler Boyd and, and Joe Burrow were like, I wish we got T the 100, you know, and they were close. It would have been 99 yards if that one had stood. But, uh, you know, it was, it was an extraordinary performance. And, and they were um, – I asked them, you know, about first down. I said, you guys just shredded them on first down. All your touchdowns, you know, from, from distance, 41, 60-yard touchdown, a 32-yard touchdown, were all on first down. And they, they said, you know, playing those soft zones like they were, we felt like we could really attack. And – you know, Atlanta had problems, obviously, tackling people after the catches were made. Um, so they they definitely were deficient on the back end, and the Bengals just spread them out and said, we're taking completions. And, you know, let's be aggressive and let's start on first down. Let's be as aggressive as we can on first down. And uh, they had three touchdowns on the board, and the only third down they faced was third and one where they rushed it on that third down run for a touchdown. And they killed them on first down. And, his second down came about, they did a decent job on second down. It was unbelievable to watch. Joe Mixon wound up with 17 carries, so at the end of the day it looked like he got the ball a lot, but really much of that came really late. This is the second week in a row where they basically said, you know what, we don't really have to run that much if they can't stop the short passing game. Agreed. You know, and uh, you know that short passing game in a lot of cases, the way this offense is structured, it's almost like an extension of the running game. 
and uh, Joe got a lot of his carries on that last drive. They start at the two-yard line. They drive all the way the length of the football field, and they take a knee inside the five-yard line down on the other end. That's a rewarding drive, you know, and, and, and Joe's part of that, uh, putting him in a meat grinder, you know, running the football when necessary to, to hammer it in there and keep the clock moving and all those sorts of things. So, um, you know, the, the, the epitome of a drive to close out a game is start from your own two-yard line when they got a great punt and then the penalty that moved it back uh, to the two-yard line, half the distance to the goal penalty, and that, to just move the football and never give it back to the Atlanta Falcons is just a hell of a deal. So in the second quarter, the Falcons had a great long drive, 16 plays, 13 of them were runs. They also had a 75-yard touchdown pass. They got a field goal after a 57-yard punt return, but that was it for their offense. Didn't score first third or fourth another game where the Bengals defense does not give up a second half touchdown haven't allowed one yet this year that's unbelievable and and I don't care in the NFL if you pitch a shutout for an half for an entire half they pitch a second half shutout that's good stuff it really is you know I think uh you know complimentary football is is the name of the game there but when the defense you know this this football team the Falcons coming into today's game they only had 12 three and outs on the season fewest in the league the Bengals had at least three that I can recall. I'm not sure if there was a fourth in there or not. But, you know, that's an average of two, three and outs per game. The Bengals exceeded that. And it's not like there were a ton of possessions, you know, during the course of the football game. Atlanta punted a ton. I mean, they had to punt it like six times, I think. The Bengals only punted it a couple of times. That tells you how effective they were. But, Dan, uh, against the Saints, they scored five of their last six drives in the first four drives in the in the first half today. They score touchdowns. I mean – Nine out of ten drives, you're scoring points. That's that's hard to do in this league, and, and it's a heck of an accomplishment. You take a bow over that one. The vibe I got from the players I talked to in the locker room after the game was, this is what we should be doing. We put it together start to finish for the first time this year. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, after the, after the Saints game, you heard guys in the locker room saying, I think we're finding our identity, and then, you know, during the course of the week, more and more guys were, yeah, we're, we, we know what we are about now offensively again, and, and uh, we're, we're finding a good identity. They are – who do you stop? I mean, it, it, it is unbelievable. And all the receivers went off, but then Hayden Hurst continues to just show so much toughness after catch. He's becoming a very – uh, quick fan favorite, you know, because of that physicality and the, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever it takes to to get the extra inch to make sure that I maximize every opportunity. And the the fan base is already uh, embracing Hayden Hurst, no question. Six catches for Hayden Hurst in the game. Defensively, Akeem Davis Gaither stepped in, got most of the snaps that Logan Wilson would have uh, normally had at linebacker. Led the team in tackles. Yeah, he did exactly what he should do, um, and you know, against a running team. Um, you know, defensive linemen, their main responsibility is keep the linebackers free. Uh, keep, don't, let, don't let guys come off on double teams and allow the linebacker to scrape and to scrape at a very tight angle and, uh, and, and make plays coming downhill. And they did a great job of that. And I thought Tufele played pretty well. Second game in a row. Second game in a row. He, uh, he, he's, got, he's got some quickness to him. I mean, he had a couple of moves inside, like pass rush moves and a run down distance where he was penetrating and uh, – He's a handful in there. I mean, he's he's uh, welcoming this opportunity uh, to get a chance to play in the National Football League, and he's maximizing it. That That's what you want out of your depth players. It's like, be ready, and if the starter goes down, we don't want a big drop-off. 
You know, we're not saying that you we expect you to perform equal to the starter. He's a starter for a reason. But we don't expect to fall off the face of the earth with your performance either. You made the football team for a reason. You're a good football player. Step up and play like it. And, and guys are doing that. Not quite as big as his fellow Samoan, Domitau Pecco, but big from the waist down and hard to, to move off the point. You're right. And got that uh, big, thick lower body, man. You know, those <laughs> those legs in the, in the buttocks, when they hunker down, phew, Man, it's it's uh, you know they can anchor. They've got anchor ability. It's like uh, it's like a, a big anchor. It's an anchor off the Titanic when they anchor. Man, it's hard to get those guys. It's hard to move them out of gaps. You know, but but along with that, when he does that swim move, you know, as an offensive lineman, it's like hey, I got to come off the ball on this guy. So now you start coming off the ball, and then as soon as he gets, he has a feel that you're really overextended to come off the ball to try to get in him. He'll give you that little swim move, and you're off in space. You're fly, flailing away. Those guys are a load, man. They're hard to handle. So the Bengals have played on Thursday night. They've played on Sunday night. Now they'll play on Monday night. Next week on the road, Monday in Cleveland. The Browns still during the phase of the season where they won't have Deshaun Watson. Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. He's been okay, but obviously it's a Browns team that's led by a tremendous offensive line and running game led by Nick Chubb. Yeah, in the, in the running game. It's number one in the league, and it's more of your conventional, traditional running game. You know, they got a two-headed monster at the uh, at the running back position, but Chubb leads the league in coming into today, this weekend's activity in terms of carries and yards and, and yards per attempt based on, you know, 50 carries or more, whatever the case may be, uh, non-quarterback who might have a better average per carry. But also, I think he had seven rushing touchdowns coming into this weekend's activity, which also leads the league. So that, that is you've got to be able to stop that running game because they, they'll play action off of that. And uh, Jacoby Brissett is a, is a veteran guy um, who normally takes care of the football, doesn't make mistakes, and um, they're, they're going to wait for you to make one and, and capitalize. They've, uh, they've done a pretty good job. So it's going to be tough up there. It always is. The Battle of Ohio is real. Uh, that fan base, uh, you know, Cincinnati fans love to get after Cleveland. Cleveland loves to get after Cincinnati. It's a, it's a big division rival going back to the, the man who founded both football teams, the legendary Paul Brown, and it will always be that way. You know, Brown's week is always a week. I can remember that so vividly as a player. And uh, Mike McCormick, the great um, offensive lineman for Paul Brown up there in Cleveland, and he was a head coach in the NFL at a few places. He was one of my offensive line coaches. And whenever we would play the Cleveland Browns, boy, would he get up in the bed. He was one of Paul's captains. And he'd be like, men, men, what's the color of horse? Brown, brown, brown. <laughs> the Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. With more than 120 care facilities and 1,500 care providers, Kettering Health is committed to guiding you to your best health. Visit KetteringHealth.org to learn more. Finally, it's time for this week's Fun Facts interview, where you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some Fun Facts with cornerback Cam Taylor Britt from Montgomery, Alabama. Describe where you grew up. Were you a country kid or a city kid? More country, if anything. Uh, I I used to stay with my grandmother, so we stayed out in the a trailer uh, where I mostly grew up uh, through kindergarten through maybe sixth grade. Um, so it was a lot of fun, especially just being out there in the wilderness and the forest, just going to 
like have fun out there, honestly, just playing in the woods. <laughs> you wouldn't say that would be a fun thing for a kid to do or where to be, but uh, that's what fun was to me. Montgomery's been called the birthplace of the civil rights movement. I know there's a Rosa Parks Museum there. Is is that a great point of pride for people from Montgomery? Most definitely, uh, especially with the history down there. You also have the Martin Luther King Church right there close by the Capitol downtown. Uh, and it's very unique. Um, and just the history down there, you guys, everybody knows about it. And just to be from there, uh, that's the first thing people, you know, ask me, have you been there? Have you seen this and seen that? Yes, I have. Um, and this. It was a great joy for me to go because I learned a lot, and especially about where I'm from. We're visiting with Cam Taylor Britt. You were obviously a great athlete growing up, but it wasn't always easy. You had serious knee injuries back-to-back years in high school. Describe what happened. Uh, so I was playing quarterback back at Prattville High School uh, my sophomore year, uh, third game of the season. Uh, it kind of just popped, popped out of place. And it, it did it two times previous before that, but mm-hmm. – I was being a tough guy and kind of popped it back in. And that third time uh, basically was the charm, and it didn't go back. And that's when they told me I tore my meniscus. Uh, So I went through, you know, the rehab process. But I was, you know, so anxious to come back and uh, kind of rush things most definitely, just being young and ready to, you know, get back out there. Uh, Come back my junior year, I'm playing, you know, the spring game. That's how fast I was able to come back and uh, get to the season of my junior year. And – Third game of the season again. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, t- to be honest, it was heartbreaking and devastating uh, just to have that same injury again, uh, but it was worse. Meniscus, fractured patella, ACL, MCL. Uh, so basically blowing out the whole knee, and that's when I, I kind of was thinking, you know, football is over for me. Um, but my mom was always there. My A1 day one, she was like, God, I ask you, don't, don't you worry. Uh, no one will forget about you. You know, you continue to be you and, you know, Continue to go out there and play your hardest, uh, and you'll be just fine. Uh, so I really took rehab serious that next year. Uh, I kind of came back around the same time, but it was very intense, you know, uh, as far as the rehab. I was in there five days a week, hmm. and I was making sure that I was doing everything possible that these people, you know, trainers told me to do, and it worked out for the best. We're visiting with Cam Taylor Britt. So you became a first-team All-State quarterback as a high school senior once your knee healed. But you weren't a quarterback by choice, correct? <laughs> Not at all. Uh, I've always been a team guy, and that's to this day, uh, whatever team needs. Uh, if I can do it, I'm going do it to the best of my ability. And that's what it kind of was, you know, throughout high school. And I started playing quarterback eighth grade. Uh, we had our quarterback was too short, couldn't see over the line. So uh, they were like, we need somebody to play it. And, you know, I volunteered and made it happen. And that's what kind of happened throughout high school. Um, for us to win, and that's what I did. So you went to Nebraska and spent four years with the Cornhuskers. For people who don't know, describe what it's like to be a Husker in that state. Honestly, uh, they treat you like you're an NFL player already. Uh, and that, I say that's the great thing about Nebraska is there's nothing there as far as NFL teams or anything. It's Nebraska football. And when I say people grow up wanting to play for the Huskers from birth, and that's how it really is. I, I didn't get that when I first got up there until, you know, I really got around the, the people there. And that was the main reason that I did go, just because how amazing the fans were uh, even before I got there. Before I even thought about signing there, they were already, you know, just being themselves. And I, honestly, I wouldn't have chose anywhere else. I'm a sucker for an emotional draft night video. 
And yours was great. You're on the couch. You're surrounded by loved ones. When you got the call from Zach Taylor, describe that moment and what it meant to you. I was just in awe, honestly. Uh, there, I couldn't speak. Uh, I, I knew I, I would get the call, and like I was preparing, you know, the night before. You know, what would I say if this coach calls? Da, da, da. It kind of all went out the window <laughs> when Coach Taylor called, and I was honestly just ready to get to work, like I said. Uh, because this opportunity, you know, a lot of people, especially where I'm from, don't get this opportunity. So I'm not taking it for granted at all and, you know, basically doing it for the ones back home. We're doing Fun Facts with Cam Taylor, Britt. I watched a great video that was done when you were at Nebraska. We, they take you inside your dorm room or campus apartment, whatever it was. And on the wall, you had a series of photos of loved ones who had passed away. How has that shaped you? It shaped me in a major way, honestly, uh, because that's what I do it for, like I said, uh, for the people who aren't here and also for the people who can't do it for themselves uh, in the hospital as far as, like, you know, patients, you know, kids, anybody. Uh, it, it's bigger than me. And they played a, a huge role uh, in what I am today uh, as far as just a man. <laughs> they played a huge role. Like I said, my grandmother was up there, her brother, which is her twin, he was up there. Uh, he was there early on in my life. And I have Janelle, she's tatted on my chest, actually. Uh, and that's my childhood friend's mom. And his mom and my mom were like best friends. And it was crazy because they looked like twins as well. And <laughs> so, you know, I just really, you know, was looking up to them as I grew up. And they showed me the way, you know, to to be me. And I appreciate them more than ever. You legally changed your last name a few years ago and added Brit, so it's hyphenated Taylor Brit to honor your stepfather. I was raised by a stepfather. Why did you feel that was important to you? Honestly, because he stepped in and, and did everything the right way and showed me the right way to a lot of things. Uh, I was, I wouldn't say I was a trouble kid at all, but I did have, you know, anger issues or something like that, you could say, uh, where, you know, they used to call me beast mode. Uh, I would get mad and I was just have a touchdown and really just turn around and run somebody over <laughs> just to go and do that. And, you know, he just taught me a lot of ways about life and just the seriousness of certain situations, um, like just watching my surroundings. I would have never known that, honestly. You know, anywhere I go, I, I'm peeping the scene. And that was one thing that he kind of taught me, you know, just reading people as well. And, you know, I, I appreciate him more than ever as well because, you know, I didn't have my, you know, biological father at home, so just to have that father figure at home, or, you know, it really, you know, helped me out in a major way. A few wild card topics now for Cam Taylor Brett. Do you have any hidden talents? I don't know if it's hidden. I like 2K. I say this in all my interviews, but I might have to go on Twitch just to show uh, the fans and everybody. But yeah, that's that's kind of my hobby, honestly. Uh, if I'm not watching film or in the stadium or anything. I'm on the game playing 2K with, you know, some of my teammates. Uh, <laughs> so I don't get away from those guys even at home. So that's that's about it. I could sing just a little bit. And I grew up in the church. Uh, if I didn't sing in the choir, my grandma, my nana, you know, she wouldn't have it. Uh, you're getting in the choir. So that's how it was for me growing up. Do you want to give us an example? Uh, I'll think about it another time. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Who is your all-time favorite athlete in any sport and why? Uh, LeBron James, and I, I kind of looked up to him my whole life, uh, just the way he handles life itself. <laughs> uh, you, you don't hear anything bad about LeBron, uh, and he has a, a beautiful, happy family, which he 
shows off all the time. Uh, he's always been a team player. Uh, he's a leader. And that's what, you know, I, I want to be, you know, and I try to be. I see he's very vocal. They just came out the, with the Redeem team on Netflix. I sat there and watched the whole thing from beginning to end. I may go watch it again tonight mm-hmm. just because uh, the impact that he had on the team, especially, you know, him and Kobe Bryant. Uh, and for Kobe to say, you know, and to speak, to speak on LeBron uh, as highly as he did, I see that I have a, a good role model. And, you know, that's, that's basically it. Last thing, and this is kind of deep. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, actor, statesman, whoever it might be, who would that person be? Maybe Muhammad Ali. Hmm. And I say that just because we've we watched multiple videos of him, um, good and bad, you know, but he always has that same attitude. Uh, and it doesn't change whether he's in a fight or whether he's basically sitting right here with us. It doesn't change. And I love that about him, man. <laughs> it's crazy to me, like, that I can't even speak to him. You know, but if I had the opportunity, man, I really – if it was a million dollars, if I had a million dollars right here and Muhammad Ali, I would most definitely pick the conversation with Muhammad Ali. And just the knowledge, you know, that you can get from him that could change your life. The original G-O-A-T. Yes, sir. This has been great. I really appreciate your time. Best of luck the rest of the year. Thank you, sir. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.